Good evening, everybody. We are here on June the 11th, session 123. Yeah, that sounds good. Hallelujah. 123. <laughs> and our cameramen are doing all kind of tricks. No. We have no clue what is happening. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing. Believe the word, don't believe the background. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> <I> man. <meant. laughs> the word is true. The background is make-believe. <laughs> So here we are. Before we start with the questions, we just thank God for today. Yes. Pastors Conference, all the pastors who came. We just thank God. Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for every pastor who came in. Yes, From Lord. far to they came, Father. And every pastor was listening online, all the other believers. We come to them and ourselves into thy hands, Lord. This conference is over, that session is over. This is a new session, completely different format, the Q&A. The questions are from your people, but the answers need to be from you, Lord. Yes, Lord. In us, we do not have answers. Yes, Lord. But in you, we have the answer. The answer is Christ. And I pray, Lord, you said if anyone lacks wisdom, mm. to ask you, and you ask, give liberally, Lord. We ask for wisdom to answer, Lord. Let the answers bring comfort, strength, endurance, hope, faith, and a determination never to quit, Lord, until we finish our race. Amen. Yes, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Yes, Pastor. We'll start with question number two. Question number two. Questions, questions, uh, question says, would you agree that Satan is not afraid of you preaching the word of God, yet how much, how very much he is in fear of our being subject to the authority of Christ? When we obey Satan, when we obey, Satan gets mad and intimidated. Would you agree? Uh, it, it's, it's not fully, fully true because you see the word of God stands on its own, irrelevant of the vessel through which it goes, though. The submitted vessel, when it goes through him or her, it has more power. Oh, yes. so the word of God can stand on its own, irrelevant of the vessel. Balaam's donkey can speak, and it, what he's speaking is the word of God. Because So it, it's irrelevant. Eli can just say, and Hannah will get pregnant, because God uses his mouth, a compromised priest, to speak the word of God. So the word of God, we have to be very, very careful about it. Because then salvation will not take place. Mm. Because salvation of people takes place through very ordinary, sometimes corrupt vessels. They speak the word and people get saved. Because salvation is in the word. It's not in the vessel that speaks. But the more submitted the vessel is, the more anointing comes in over there. So there is a difference between the word and the vessel. So, yes. The word of God, the devil is always scared of the word of God. But when this question actually is in personal use, when you are being intimidated by the enemy, tested, tempted by the enemy, and you are not subject yourself to the word of God, you don't believe in the word of God. That's what happened to the sons of Sceva. They said, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And he said, we know Jesus, we know Paul. But who are you? Mm. So here that is what's when you're encountering the powers of darkness one on one, if you're not subject, he's not bothered about you. He's not bothered. So there's a difference here when you use the word preaching. Preaching is a different thing at all. It's a completely different picture at all because then 
salvation wouldn't take place. Salvation takes place because most of the creatures are actually not subject to the authority of God. But still, salvation is taking place because through that vessel, the word of God comes. Somebody sitting over there receives the word and the word of God still has power to work in those who believe. Mm. Those who believe. So that's how it works. Because of the word, because of the word preaching, Satan is always afraid of people preaching the word. That's why the the devil through the entire world system tries to shut down the preaching of the word of God. He tries to shut it down because the word of God has power. When it is the way, I mean, you don't even have to preach. Like if you see in the Old Testament, all people just had to stand up and read, read the, the word of God yes. aloud and it has its own power. Mm. Because the word of God stands in isolation from man. It will always have power. So it doesn't matter. Even if it's just a piece of paper from the Bible lying on the road, somebody picks it up and reads, it has the power to save him. So the word of God has power. That's why we do everything. We print, we, I mean, the, the worldwide church prints, distributes, keeps Bibles in hostels and hotels. And what is the whole idea? Because the word of God has power. It has power. So don't look at the preacher. Somebody could be, could be saved through Joel Austin's message. Because one message he preaches may be true. And somebody hears it. That's what Paul is actually talking about in Corinthians 9, 27. No. No, after having preached, yes. Yes, that's what he got. First Corinthians 9. 9, 20, 20, yes. yeah, 27. Yeah, 27. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. This answers. He says, you know what? You can be a preacher who preaches to others, but you are not subject. You are not subject. Yet people are getting saved. Crowds are coming for your meeting. But at the end, on judgment day, you are disqualified. Yet you were the person God used to reach out to people. You are disqualified. Mm-hmm. And much of evangelism is like that. Evangelism is simple preaching of the word of God. And things can happen. So that's where uh, the question has to be answered in terms of preaching is one thing. But what happens is in your one-on encounters with powers of darkness, when the Bible says, you know, you shall trample upon snakes and scorpions, what you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. That spiritual warfare which you have to face, everybody has to face. Jesus faced, everybody has to face. It's a personal battle with the powers of darkness. There, the devil does not. He looks at whether you are subject. You are subject to that authority. That is where you fail. That is what Paul is actually talking about. I myself will be disqualified. Why were we disqualified? Because in your personal battle, you always lost. In your public battle, the word of God won. Mm, not you. In your personal mm. battle, you, you lost. lost. In the public battle, the word mm. of God won. And people will look and think both are the same. They are not, not the, the same. same. The word of God is different. It has the power to work in those who believe. It has the power to work. That's what Paul tells, right? The, church in Thessalonians. He says the word of God has the power to work in those who believe. All it takes is do you believe? If you do, the word of God in itself has power to work in those who believe. But the preacher in his personal battles as he keeps losing and failing because he himself is not appropriating the word of God and is not subject to the word he preaches. He's not subject. You know what? He is personally failing. So on that day of judgment, you will be disqualified for what? For the price. We're not talking about salvation. For your crown, your rewards when you stand, everything will be factored in. All our works, 
all our victories, everything will be factored in. When you're factored in, God looks at your personal listing and says, you know what? Disqualified. You are disqualified. But then you cannot say, Lord, Lord, but look at all the crowds I brought. He says, that was my word. And my spirit who convicted, my word who brought back the fruit. That's how it works. Yes, Pastor Vijay. So there's another question on personal, as you were talking about personal attack, personal battle. This is question number three on the same lines. Question, question, question says, how do we stay alert? Sorry, uh, this is, uh, we must be, it's a two part question, yes. We must be aware of our enemy. Do we major on Satan or the demons? We must discern their activities. And unlike the little children who get carried away, we should never walk in ignorance. Yes, we need discernment, but sometimes it just slips away. How do we stay, stay alert and not miss out on the important attacks? Sometimes we are so frustrated how we miss out on the attacks in our own lives. See, the because this is spiritual, because the devil is spiritual, okay, he's a spirit, he's a spirit and he operates in the spiritual realm. See, the simple answer is always two. One is the word. One is the word. The other is the spirit. Hmm. The other is the Holy Spirit. The key is this. Even Jesus, before he sent out the disciples, he says, do not leave Jerusalem. Don't receive Jerusalem. He's taught them for three and a half years. He has given practical ministry experience. He's risen from the dead. He's taught for 40 days after resurrection, but he's still telling them, don't leave. Don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. When he comes, first, you need power. The Holy Spirit comes, you need power, because this is a power encounter. You can't fight an enemy which are, who has incredible power unless you have power or more power. And more power is with the Holy Spirit. Mm. You need. Second, when the Holy Spirit comes, you receive the anointing for discernment. Anointing for this. There's something that happens that is all part of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit shall teach you all things. He shall lead you to unto all. That is where it talks about being subject. Mm. There's being subject to the written word of God and there's being subject to the, the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, yes. The Spirit of God. Mm. Being subject to that. And the second part is more difficult. It's very easy. Easier, not very easy. Easier to be subject to the written word than to be subject to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God by His very nature, the Holy Spirit, the comparisons we have is compared to a dove. He's very, very sensitive to, he just whispers. He just whispers. He doesn't shout. He doesn't scream. When he comes, you will know. Mm. When he goes, usually nobody knows. Wow. When he came on the day of Pentecost, he came like a mighty rushing wind and fires. But when he left King Saul and Samson, they did not know he had left. He had left. And all the warnings, especially in the new covenant, is connected with the Holy Spirit. How you deal with the Holy Spirit is important because discernment comes from him. Discernment comes. He's the one who wants. And also, we need to realize is that uh, in the new covenant, old covenant it was there, but not so much as we have in the new covenant. We have the fruit of the Holy Spirit, one side, and the other side is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Like I said today morning about a bird with two wings being the word of God and a prayer person. The other side is the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Both of them are necessary to fight the enemy. 
both are necessary to fight the enemy. I'll show you. Uh, we turn to the book of Galatians. First we'll go over there. Galatians 5. We'll look from 18. Yeah? Nah. -uh. Okay. We'll look. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That's how it begins. Usually we jump into 19 and says these are the works of the flesh. But why do the works of the flesh come? What are judges? Who judges the, the works of the flesh? What makes all these things manifest the law? The law comes, sin comes. The law doesn't stop sin. It awakens sin. Mm. Okay, awakens sin. So now the works of the flesh are evident. So all these things are listed. But the Bible says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are no longer under the law. You are a free man. You overcome all these things that are listed. You have you have so many listed over there. Okay, till twenty one, so many listed. These are what if you look at it, no? And revelries are like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you have the the works of the flesh. Now contrasting to it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Contrasting is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is love. It is joy. It is peace. It's long suffering. It is kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness, mm. gentleness, self-control. Again, such there is no, no, no. The evening devotion was on self-control. Hmm? If you look at it, this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And when we have increasing this measure in the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the demonic starts losing its power. It starts losing its power. Like, let us say, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And the, one of the statements about love in Corinthians is, love never fails. Mm. Love never fails. Okay, this is a fruit, meaning it keeps on growing. It has to keep on growing. So when you are, when the demonic is attacking, it attacks at different levels. One level, it is trying to see that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is not developed while the works of the flesh are manifested. So when this is being manifested and therefore this is not being developed, what happens is the demonic has won. The demonic has won. So we have to see that the demonic, the demonic is just not in, in terms of oppression. Okay. It also is in terms of fruit. If, let us say, you've been a believer for three years, four years, five years, and you're still the same angry, short-tempered person, that means the demonic has won. Mm. You're still losing. You're going to church. You're in all activities. The fruit is not being developed. And what is happening? The flesh is being manifested. So what is happening over there? The demonic realm is just having a gala time. Are you saved? Yes. But you are just a child. And that is what the Corinthian churches, they are like children, squabbling and fighting. Every work of the flesh is manifested among them. What And the gifts of the Holy Spirit is also manifested. What is not manifested, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is not manifested. And therefore you see the demonic is having. Don't look in terms of ministry. Look always in terms of personal. Because when we judge, when we are judged, first thing that God is going to look at is not the ministry. It's looking at our personal. You look at it and say, you know what? You weren't a loving person. I didn't see joy in your life. Mm. 
I saw you very happy when things happen in the world, but I never saw my joy. You know why? Because you never allowed my spirit. Because righteousness, peace, and joy is the kingdom of God in the Holy Spirit. These are all manifestations, okay? So you have to allow the fruit. And fruit, you can't do anything for the fruit to grow in that tree. All you can do is just plant that seed and water that plant. And as long as the tree abides over there, the fruit will naturally come. And Jesus said, you know what? It is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. And the condition is you abide in me. And my words abide in me. He says, you just stay in me. Just stay in me. A couple, two of the things is, it's in the word of God and in prayer. We stay in. Okay? That's why Jesus said, we looked in the morning. It is not those who say. It is those who do. Okay? So we know what to do. And he says, if you are doing it naturally, okay, if you do it and in increasing measure, what happens? The fruit automatically starts. You automatically starts changing, okay? Your your works of the flesh that has taken anger gets lesser and lesser and lesser. On the other hand, you become a more patient, more kinder, patient, long of It is in one goes down and the other is increasing. And the people around you, especially your family, is able to notice the difference and says, you know what? You have changed. Amen. You have changed. On the other hand, we are more worried about outward change. My hair is white, you know, I'm growing old. But that's not the change that matters. The change that matters is inwardly. That's what the Bible is saying. Even though the outward man is perishing, inwardly we are being transferred from glory to glory. What is that? It is talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That is glorious because that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit or in other words, that is the character of God, the very character, nature of God. So that's one thing. The other side with the demonic is a fruit of the the gifts of the Holy Spirit and that is what so negated either in the Pentecostal charismatic, this thing, they go overboard with it and the other group just negates it. They say it is all gone. But that's not how it works. If you go to one place where the list is given, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Mm. Now look here. To one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. Now these are unbelievable Mm. gifts we need we need in the kingdom of God. We need the gift of wisdom. We need the gift of knowledge to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits. Look at that. Mm. To another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of the tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he mm-hmm. wills. So we need the gifts to discern. Mm-hmm. We need. We need a gift of, you may have a gift of wisdom, you may have a gift of prophecy, you have somebody has a tongue, another person has the interpretation, or the same person has the tongue and the interpretation. All this is to discern primarily what it is in a situation when these gifts operate, you know the real from the fake. Look at the picture. Go to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. 
Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by a fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul greatly annoyed turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Now honestly, let me tell you, by what she says, you will not know this is not of God, mm. unless you have discernment. Because every word she says is absolutely true. She's not talking about some other God. She's talking about the living God. These men are the servants of the Most High God. Think about you go into a church and suddenly a girl stands up or a man stands up and says, that is the true man of God who is going to speak to us. And you say, thank you, Lord, for confirmation. If you don't have the spirit of discernment, you look at him and realize this is the spirit of divination. It's the spirit of divination. You know what happens? Let us say, let us give me as an example. Okay, let us give me as an example. Let us say I go to, give me a town in Telangana. Suripet. Let us say I am called to Suripet. And I go preach in Suripet. And a man stands up in, the, in that church and says, this is a true man of God. And he has come from Hyderabad and his church. He says something. Every word is true. And I look at it and think, oh, Pastor Pratap's church has really anointed people. Okay. And I leave. I'm not going back to Suripet. The pastor mistakes this man and thinks, I have a gifted man in my house. I should need to make him an elder. I have gone. Nobody discerned this was a spirit of divination working right within the church because what the spirit spoke was not a lie. It was the truth. You did not have the discernment of spirits because you did not have this, this thing. A demon-possessed person has been made an elder in the church. <laughs> and there are so many elders like that around the world. The Freemasons have infiltrated the church with altars, with demonic entities, have taken our pulpits and the whole churches. And people have no idea it is not the gift of knowledge or the gift of prophecy. It is a divination that is working. Wow. It is divination that is working. Why? Because people did not have discernment. So you're not looking at just what is being said. You also need to know. That's what the other thing, whether that person is actually subject to the word of God. Or not. Yep. Is he subject to the word of God or not? Okay. Otherwise, what will happen? Balaam also can prophesy. Balaam also can prophesy, but Balaam has already sold his soul for money. Oh. And he prophesies. And kings are calling him because he's called a seer, meaning he can see. Mm. He can see. This is where it happens. This is where one has to be very, very careful. Very, very, very careful. And Paul comments the Bereans. When Paul came and preached in Berea, he said the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians were noble. Why? Because Paul says in the right letter to Thessalonians, when we came and preached, you did not receive it as the word of men, but as the word of God, which truly was, and therefore it has power to work in those who believe. But when we came to Bereans, they listened to us and checked with scriptures every day to see whether Paul preached agreed with scripture or not. So he says, you know what, Thessalonians were noble because when we strangers came and preached, they received the word of God as the word of God from servants of God and they were worked in them. 
Parents were even more noble. When we came and preached before them, they did not receive anything. They first checked with scriptures to see whether they say agrees with the word of God. Honestly, if Paul wasn't a godly man, he would have commended the Thessalonians and not the Bereans. Oh. Hmm. Because we would say, my gosh, I came and preached. You're checking the scripture. If my scripture, when you yesterday's believers, what do you know? But say, I had revelation from God personally. You are checking my scripture. Paul says, no, you did a good job. That's what you need to do. Don't take anybody's. Your homework is to check with the word of God whether what I we speak agrees with the word of God or not. That is where discernment comes. So discernment is discernment within the body of Christ is one a gift and we need to have it. Okay? We need to have it. And everything. We also need to personally react. We also need to know ourselves. When you hear something, whether it's a prophetic word or anything you hear, when you get excited, be still and ask, why are you excited? Mm. What are you excited about? Is it because it's touched an idol in your heart? Or is it glorifies, magnifies Jesus Christ? Why are you excited? Because if you look at people, will jump and scream and everything and all. But if you preach Christ crucified, nobody is jumping. What are you excited about? Mm. What are you excited about? You need to stop and say, I am, I hear this and I feel everything, but why? What am I excited about? Because in that message, I see something for myself, the old man. I see something for myself. The old man is very, very excited, but the new man should be excited. The new man is all about Christ. It is all about Christ. He's looking into the unseen. He's looking into the eternity. He's looking how can magnify God. Because she realized that. It's like a woman. The woman is always looking for how she can magnify, I mean, supposed to magnify her husband. So the church is always trying to look how we can magnify Christ. So we need to know ourselves very, very well. That's why Jesus, when man comes and says, good master, he says, stop a minute. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. He didn't take the compliment, though he is good. <laughs> he didn't take the compliment. He didn't take compliment at all. He's guarding his spirit. He's guarding his spirit. I will not be touched by compliments that belong to God alone. I am, if I am good, let my father say I am good. Hmm. My father say I am good. Let him say, because that's the only thing that really matters. What hmm. does God say? At the end of the day, God must say, my good hmm. and faithful servant enter into my joy. So you, we need a discernment. This one, last day's discernment has gone out of the window. Out of the window. Like I said today, what is an average young pastor when he wants to begin a church? What is he looking for? <laughs> you meet them as I have met them. What do you, what do you do when God has called me? Okay, what are you looking for? First hall. Second instruments. Sound system. He's not talking about seeking the face of God. He's already got this format in his mind that God has called me to start a church. The first thing I need is a hall. Then I need a sound system. Then I need these instruments and worship team. The worship, that word should not be used. I need a team. I need a team. Everybody's for hire. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you see out there, like when we go from here, the bandwaja for the weddings, mm. that is a team. With musical instrument. So he's not, he's already got a picture in his mind which has got nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Not that these things are per se wrong, but it has, should have its appropriate place. 
when Jesus begins his word, uh, begins his ministry, it begins with fasting and prayer, seeking the face of God. It has come through years of seeking the face of God and the word of God. His, his entire ministry is spirit-powered, spirit-led, but it's built, built on two two foundations, the power, the word, and prayer. It is built on that. And when he comes out, there is no worship team. There's no musical instruments. There is no singers. There is no platform. There is no. Okay. Now, in, I mean, later the church starts, all these things will come in post Pentecost. It will come in. But even if you look in the Pentecost, this thing, uh, in the book of Acts, it doesn't say about any of these things. You read from the book of Acts, or actually from the Gospels. To find a musical instrument, you have to go to the book of Revelation. Find me between Matthew chapter 1 and the book of Jude, musical instruments. Nowhere. Today, find a church who will start a service without musical instruments. That is the main thing. The drummer has to be isolated with glass cage and all. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of these things, but are you looking in the scripture? These are just tools. These are just tools. None of them needed any of these things. Actually, for centuries, they never used it yes. because they were underground. <laughs> they were persecuted churches. Persecuted churches doesn't want instruments because they don't want to be found. They just want to worship. And some of the places where they worship, they just move their lips when sound doesn't come out. Okay. Now, we need to understand what God is talking. This is where we need to discernment because we already have these pictures in our mind. Sometimes those pictures have nothing to do with God or His Word. God or with His Word. Okay, And that's what is talking. We need discernment. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is a discernment. It is a discernment. You know? And we need discernment. And discernment comes through the Word. And discernment comes through the Spirit. You need both. You need the word of God, you need a prayer life, and you need the spirit of God. Because when the Holy Spirit, when the devil comes and uh, and tempts Jesus, don't think that the, the devil came with his horns and nothing like that. We don't even know what happened in the wilderness. We don't even know exactly what happened. It may be just a temptation that is coming on to him. It's maybe just a voice speaking to his flesh by saying, I'm very hungry. If you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. And his answer is, it is written. It is written. Who's giving him discernment? Like I said in the morning, is hunger bad? No. God created hunger. Is food bad? No. Turning stones to bread and you have the power to that. Isn't it nice? Is it bad? You're not wasting food. You're taking stone and making it into bread. Later, he will take five loaves and multiply it for tens and thousands. So you have the power. You will do it later. The question is not whether it is good. Hmm. The question is whether it is the will of God. Who is the one who is speaking here? So he comes and he says, it is written. Hmm. So he had discernment. And he had discernment from the word of God and the spirit of God. He says, it is written. And he picks up one portion from the book of Deuteronomy, which is connected with food. And he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And in the third temptation, when he tells him to jump, the devil tells him to jump, and he quotes, and he says, it is written that the angels shall lift you up. He says, it also. is also written. That's discernment. Oh, 
That is discernment. You cannot have discernment if you do not know your word. If you do not know your word. And you are not subject to the word. And subject to the spirit who authored the word. If you are not subject to them, you yes. cannot have discernment. Yes. So, so the question, I, 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 one point I just want to ask you in relation to this is, these are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So, um, when a person is given all these gifts, uh, they are given as a gift. Uh, is there a way for the, is it important for the person to harness and uh, make these uh, gifts even more sharper so that uh, he'll become more effective in the operation yeah. of those gifts? And how does he do that? The, the, with the gift, with the gift, it's it's very simple. It's very practical. It is something like happens in the secular world. Any gift you have, the more you use it, the better it becomes. In it, mm. any gift. Okay. Even preaching. Yes. When we began preaching, and what we are now, and what will be, it's not the same. What has happened? Practice. It's a simple thing. Practice makes perfect. And with the gift, it is the more you start using the gift, you start getting discernment. Okay, this works, this does not work. Mm. This is more effective. This is better. You realize how it, but you have to. The more you use, it starts flowing. It starts flowing. Yes. That's mm. how gifts work. But the gift, it's a gift. That mm. is what you need to be. We are talking about two things. One is a person uh, who's working under the anointing. And the other is the person who is working with the gift. gift. Yes, these are not the same. same. Yeah, are not. The, an anointed person can have all the gifts. A gifted person may not be under the anointing. And when Jesus begins his ministry, what he says, "The Spirit of the Lord has anointed, anointed me." Mm. Anointed me. Anointing gives you authority. Gift does not give you authority. Yep. Gift does not give. And that is where people have gone wrong. A lot of people who jumped into ministry, have ministry, they ran into it with a gift and they were never anointed. Anointing automatically gives you office and it gives you authority. Because you need to realize, we read from, we read from 1 Corinthians uh, 12, right? I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 4. Okay. Let's before that. Let's go back to that portion so that we understand how gifts operate. Okay, okay. First Corinthians twelve. Yeah, First Corinthians twelve, and we said no. Verse eleven. Verse eleven. Got it. All these, one and the same. Yeah, but one and the same spirit. Where is it? First, yeah, yeah, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he will. So who gives this, the gifts of the spirit? The spirit gives. Okay, he's the one who gives. Now go to Ephesians 4. Hmm? And verse 7. 7 onwards, okay? We'll leave uh, 9 and 10 out, but we'll go. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now we are not talking about the Spirit's gift. We are talking about Christ's Christ gift. gift. Therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Jesus gave gifts to men. Read 9 and 10. We leave right 9 and 10. We can just skip over it also. It's fine. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. This is a fivefold gifting of Jesus Christ, not the Holy Spirit. The offices are from Jesus. The gifts, other gifts are from the Holy Spirit. Though they are all working together, it is not the same. Jesus has given a five-fold ministry in the church. That is an office. 
for this fivefold ministry it is an anointing it is not a gift mm. like the gift of the holy spirit you can have a gift and be just a member of the congregation but you may be somebody who does not have that same gift but you have been anointed for an office and that office gives you power and authority what happens is people take a gift and think they have an office and they go start a church and they bring chaos because they do not and people are looking at their gifts so oh, he has the gift of wisdom she has the gift of knowledge and she has the gift of prophecies but she is not a prophet prophet is a office hmm. prophecy is a gift knowledge is a gift this is an office the fivefold ministry which god has given that is an office and if you don't have discernment you will run after the person with the gift without realizing he doesn't have an office to speak into your life Hmm. does not have office this is where the problem comes this is where listen and look at the operation of it if you come to first corinthians chapter 14 the bible if you read it is very very clear it has given us all how we need to do things okay 14 and verse 29 let two or three prophets speak let the others judge Now this is basically talking about a gift of prophecy working all the gifts in the church this is two or three stands up and gives a prophecy for encouragement this day but whether it is a prophetic utterance or whether it is a prophetic interpretation of the word of god the others are called to judge and the gifts are operate judge use your discernment use your wisdom use the word of god and judge what they are saying don't take anything it is you are responsibility to judge no you cannot judge me no the word of god says judge judge and then next verse if anything is revealed yeah let two or three if anything is revealed to another who sits by let the first keep silent talking about order for you all can prophesy one by one that all may learn all may be encouraged the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets so it is talking about a setting where gifts are operate but it all has to be judged everything the same thing is said in Thessalonians if you go to the letter to the Thessalonians chapter 5 right test every spirit yeah do not despise prophesying yeah that one that was okay verse 19 20 and 21 do not quench the spirit do not despise prophecies test all things hold fast what is good meaning wrong things can come why can it come why can these things happen in the, in, in the ministry of prophecies you go to now to first corinthians chapter 13 the chapter about love okay chapter about love okay yeah okay words 8 love never fails but whether there are prophecies they will fail whether there are tongues they will cease whether there is knowledge it will vanish away for we know in part we prophesy in part but when that which is perfect has come then that which is in part will be done away okay we're talking about all these gifts have a time period mm. a time period okay time period all these gifts should have a time period one in time it will all cease when jesus comes you won't need anything second it should also have a time period in a person's life 
Meaning, once you have come to a point where you actually love God with all your heart, all your mind, you don't need a prophetic gift to work in your life. Mm. You don't need somebody speaking in your life because you hear so clearly from God about yourself. You don't need a gift to work. You don't need somebody to come and say, I prophesy to you, Lord. You don't need anything. Jesus didn't need anybody prophesying over him. Over anybody. Paul did not need anybody prophesying over him. Actually, when they prophesied, he said, I already know. Mm. And you got it wrong. I need to go to Jerusalem. You're trying to stop me. Your interpretation of the prophecy is wrong. You're getting it wrong. Because you're letting your emotions getting mixed up and saying, I'll be handled. I know I'll be handled and I have to go. The Spirit of God is compelling me to go. That's what he's talking about. You don't know because you're hearing very clearly. You are walking in love with God. You're hearing so clearly. So where? All these gifts. The gifts will be still needed to bring people to that unity, to pay people to come to that. But individually, every person has to come to a point where you are personally being led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. And the fruit of God is being manifested. The uh, the gifts of God. God may be using you to impart the gifts. But like Jesus or Paul, you have to come to your point. You're not being independent. You're part of the body. Mm. You're part of the body. Okay, you're not being independent because that is not allowed. Nobody is independent of the body of Christ. But you are not dependent on these gifts which are in part. We see in part. We prophesy in part. Somebody who has a gift of knowledge uh, will not be even be sure what I'm saying is true or not. He just is operating a gift. Okay, let us say I say... Uh, I see John Ritchie. Okay. Or you go to a church, you don't even know there is a John Ritchie over there. You have this gift and you hear the Spirit saying, yes, there is a John Ritchie over here. And uh, this is what is going to happen to John Ritchie. Now you are just saying it, but you do not know, is there a John Ritchie? By faith, you believed it was the Spirit of God you spoke. Now John Ritchie is sitting over there and he hears and he knows. He's talking about me. The same thing can happen with the divination also. also yeah. A demonic man with a demonic divination spirit like that girl can come and say, there is a John Ritchie here. Sometimes the demons can read your past better. But the Holy Spirit has control. He will not reveal somebody's past to you to be spoken out in public. But the demonic spirits have no control at all. He will tell everything about your past and you will, oh, he knows everything about me. Mm. But when the Holy Spirit does, he does it like Jesus Christ. He will send everybody aside, have the Samaritan woman alone, and without putting you to shame, will say, this is. But when the divination takes place, it is for personal attention. Yes. It is for personal. Mm. It is for personal ministry. It is for personal. You want the TV cameras every and the poor man is being humiliated or woman is being humiliated and making fun of. After that, probably if something like the Samaritan woman happens in a church, that woman will never come back to church. That is the end of her lecture, this thing. But that's not how the Holy Spirit does. Anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus will not be put to shame. But if you look at today, you will realize people are exposed and put to shame. Doesn't do that. Doesn't do that. Okay. In that case of unhappiness and suffering, it's a different thing. This is happening within the church and it is happening through their pastor. Peter is the pastor over there. He is the apostle over there. And it is in the act of 
hypocrisy is being judged. But after that, God doesn't judge anybody. So there's always a pattern set. Once God has set a particular pattern in the beginning, after that, he doesn't continue it. He says, that's a lesson for you. Nadab and Abihu were judged for offering profane fire. After that, you don't see anybody. Korah and Data and Abiram once set is swallowed up to hell. After that, you don't see that happening. Because God said, I have set you a pattern. Now you look at the pattern and you need to realize, if you don't repent, this is what will happen to you at the end. Yes. If you continue to offer profane fire, this is right. this is your end. You will be consumed by fire. You keep on rebelling against God-appointed, anointed authority. One day you will be swallowed up. If you are going to play the hypocrite and pretend to be something which you are not just for the approval of this thing, this is what your end will be. He set a pattern and he lives after that. The pattern is set. Because you don't see these things being repeated. Mm-hmm. But it's because a pattern has been set over there. That is how we use discernment. The word of God gives you discernment. It gives you a lot of discernment. If you know the word of God, that's what I said. Now, if you look at the eight things which uh, David spoke about in Psalm 119, you go through it, mark it with your Bible. You can mark it. No, it begins with the law. Mm-hmm. You know, Psalm 119, verse 1, begins with the law. And then he goes to the word, and then he goes to ordinances, commands, precepts, judgment, testimonies. All these things are different. See, blessed are, are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. These are not the same. Mm. The law and the testimonies are not the same. You come further down, you will see different facets, okay? They also, they walk in. You have commanded us to keep your precepts, okay? Now, each of them are, they look similar, but they are not similar. They are different. And when you understand that and learn and grow in it, you know what? You have discernment. That's the difference between a new lawyer and a good lawyer. New lawyer will say, whatever you pay, I will take your case. The other lawyer will say, my return is 10 lakhs. But I promise you, I'll win your case for you. Because he has got discernment. He looks at your case, he looks at the law, and he says, I can win your case for you. He just goes through it and says, it's not a problem. can be one. Because he's got discernment. He understands. And that's what the Bible is talking about. We need to know our word. And the more we know the word and more we walk in the word and when we practice in the word, we get discernment. There's a lot of discernment that comes from experience. A lot of discernment that comes from experience. That's why the Bible talks about listening to older people. Like sometimes, it may be even... Uh, older person, an older, like my mother, older person. She not be, may not be very spiritual because she came to the Lord very late in life. But she's got tons of experience of dealing with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. Once you have taught for 30, 35 years and brought out hundreds and thousands of students, you have dealt with them all individually. You got discernment on human behavior. One look, they will tell you this is a fake. Because I have had taught many fakes like you. Sometimes people like that are very dangerous. Dangerous in the sense like they can look at you. She can look at my church and say, which is fake and which is not. Better than me. Especially the young people. Many young people have taught like that. I know when they are pretending and when they are not pretending. Experience. Where did she come from? Experience gives you discernment. Mm. Experience gives you discernment. Okay, Because you are dealing with people. Office job is one thing. You have discernment with paperwork. But when you are dealing with people,
people, people who are in those places when you're constantly dealing with people. Now, like you go to an old new IPS officer with all his shiny uniform and stars that come over there. And there is a head constable sitting over there who's been in that chair for, he's been there for service for 30 years. And a case comes to the police station, the IPS officer says, section this thing. And the constable says, sir, that is a crook. How do you know? Sir, I've seen many like this. Don't take his humility and all. He's a big crook. One look at him, I can make it out. Now, what does the constable have? He did not pass IPS or civil service or anything. He didn't go to Sadar Vallabhai Patel. But he's got tons and tons of experience. Mm. Yeah, tons of tons. And that is what you're talking about. One, ministry experience. Because you have dealt with people, you have handled the word of God. The word of God gives you experience. And the spirit of gives you discernment. You know? Gehasi, where have you got? Oh, no. Gehasi, did you know my spirit went with you? <laughs> Love that. <laughs> did you know my spirit went with you? Okay. Is this the time? Is this the time? Is this the time? Okay. So that's, that's what we are talking about. Now, personal level, at a simple, practical, personal level, we are talking about the word of God mm. and the spirit of God. You walk in it, God will give you discernment. Because you don't have to judge everybody. And that's none of our business. Our job is to see what gets into me. Mm, exactly. Very careful. I just have to be very careful yeah. about mm. the things I hear, the things, people, the voices that speak to me, mm. the people I need to really fellowship with. Yes, yes. That's yes. all you have to be careful about. Because you are trying to protect your yes, own sir. soul. Amen. And in that you need to have discernment. Mm. Second, where you go and what you do. You don't run around everywhere and do ministry. You know, every pastor conference, you know how many pastors come and say, Pastor, I want to organize a meeting for you. And I look at them and say, okay, if I am free. I'll always give them one standard. Why should I go where God has not sent me? Should I go where God hasn't sent me? Okay. But some of them, when they asked them, I said, sure, absolutely sure, I'll come. I know you. Mm. You're genuine. You're genuine. I'll come. Okay, but that was, was not the way in the beginning when you began. Anybody called you a willing to come. Mm. Okay, but as you grow older in the spirit, you realize, you know what, some places are not worth going. It's a waste of time because we have to redeem the time. We don't have much time. Okay, much time. So in everything, you will learn to use, you will, I mean, it's, it's very, very practical with experience, with time, with the spirit of God, with the word of God, how you spent your time, how you spent your money. Because the Bible says when it comes to the world, you unbelievers, be very, very careful about your time. Redeem your time. I think it's in Colossians. Colossians. Yeah. Be careful, you, be careful with outside. But they will just steal your time. Mm. They just, before you know the time is gone, time is gone. It is gone. They're time killers. And people don't realize the most important commodity God has given to us on this side of eternity is time. And if that time is not spent in hearing, doing something that does not edify you, edify, it's a waste of time. It's a waste. The time is gone. You're four not five. ready. Huh? Four, five. Colossians 4, 5. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
know, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming, redeeming the time. That wisdom is dis- wisdom is discernment. You know that wisdom is discernment. It is use wisdoms, use this wisdom. Okay, use this wisdom. Okay, a lot of people will. I mean, a lot of people now. Uh, Pastor, can I meet you? I say no. <laughs> Why, Pastor, you're not free? I am free, but you cannot meet me. Right? Because I didn't see you in church. I didn't see you in church. I didn't see you in the meetings. If you're not for the meetings, why should I give you my personal time? Hmm. When I was in the church preaching the word of God, when I was here teaching the word of God, and that is the word of God for everybody, and you did not think you were part of that everybody, when did you become somebody to take my personal time? I've got better things to do. Simple as that, because you know what? I'm not going to waste my time. Hmm. It's my time. Because nine out of ten cases, when you come to sit with me and talk to me, all the things you took, if you had come for the meeting, you would have known the answer. Yep. Absolutely. You know who needs tuitions? Those who don't go to class. They need tuitions. If the teacher is good, and you go to class, and you listen to the classes, you don't need tuitions. You don't need tuitions. You see, we, we all studied without tuitions. Yep. In the first place, there was nobody to take tuitions and nobody to pay for the tuitions. <laughs> if you wanted a tuition and you wrote to your father and got a reply, it would take around 60 days. By the time exams are over. <laughs> 30 days one way, 30 days one way. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, so those things were impossible. So we all finished 10 years of schooling without tuitions. So no tuitions. There was nobody to teach. There were no tuitions. It was, it was not, I mean, there may be others who had tuitions and all. But personally, you never had tuitions. So all you had was that. You go to the classroom. You listen to the teacher carefully. You take down everything that has been taken. Come back and do your homework. Honestly, if people did their homework, they read their personal devotions. They read their word. They prayed. They listened to the word that is being preached. Discernment will automatically come. It will come. Hmm. You will have discernment. Okay, because we are talking about practical. The demonic does not come as demonic. The demonic comes as deception. Mm. It comes as deception. And the most stunning words in the Bible is found in the book of Revelation, chapter 20. (laughs) Verse 7. 27. Revelation 20 and verse 7. Now when a thousand years have expired and Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. And he actually deceives. If you were there in the morning, you will will realize during the thousand year old reign of Jesus Christ, the humans that are not the saints, the humans that are over there live long. When a child will be hundred years. So, it will be like the Adamic age because sin has just come in and sin is still kind of under. People lived long, 400 years, 600 years, 700 years. So, I believe during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ because earth is being refurbished, there is no sin, no pollution, no war, peace. People will live long. Once you have lived long for 500 years, 600 years under peace and no war and prosperity, every man in his house, under his wine, everything, how can you get deceived? 
when they get deceived. The enemy's, the demonic's major tool is deception. It is only after you have been deceived you can be oppressed. Oppression is next stage. But first you are deceived. See, if this is not tea and this is alcohol, before I can become an adept, I have to be deceived that I can handle it. Mm. First I am deceived. I can handle it. Everybody is doing it. After all, I am not a regular drinker. I am just a social drinker. First I am deceived. And then by the time I am addicted, I am under oppression. Addiction doesn't come mm. first. Deception comes first. If you are not deceived, if you are not deceived, you cannot be oppressed. So the enemy doesn't come with oppression. He comes with deception. He comes with deception. And he will use, and he will bring, and if you don't have discernment, the, the people will use the name of God. Sarah used the name of God. Jacob used the name of God. Everybody used the name of God. And that is a deception. Because if you are talking to a righteous man, if you don't bring God into the picture, how can you deceive him? And you don't even realize you are deceiving him. That's a funny thing. Because you are bringing culture and not the word of God. Okay, And that's how deception takes place. So the simple thing about demonic is guard yourself from deception. How do you guard yourself from deception? Is by handling the truth. You don't learn deception. You learn truth. Yes. I've given this oft-given example is that old days, old days, no, when you're doing notes, old days, not now after the machines and all came in. The guy at the teller at the counter, you give him a bundle of notes to deposit, he will be counting like this. And then he stops and he takes one thing out and he looks. Why did he stop? How did he know it was fake? Because he's handling the true ones. Even by touch, he knows the difference between the real and the counterfeit. And he going, going, because all his years sitting over there, he's been handling the true, the true, the true. The meaning the counterfeit comes, he picks it out. So if you have majored in your life, handling the truth of God's word, meditated upon his word, guarded your heart, invested your life in the truth, when the counterfeit comes, you will know that is counterfeit. Hmm. But when you do not know, you don't handle what you know. You run from one prophet to another, one miracle worker to another because you don't have the truth. And it's very easy for them to deceive you. Deceive you. Like the three blondes who went to Joel Austin's church and stripped themselves because of I'm pro, pro-choice. This thing, you looked at them, three of them, this thing, and somebody wrote very well of all churches, why did you have to go to his church? Because he himself is deceived. <laughs> What statement are you making? And he put a clip also in Larry King or whatever when he was talking about abortion and uh, um, gay, this thing. And I don't preach about those things. What are you preaching about? God hasn't called me. First, I did God call you. You have to call out people by names because these are the big ones. These were the ones who have destroyed Christianity from within. The big names infiltrated the church with their mega churches, have changed the word and made it into something else. Okay. And that's because and people, or if you see, they put a sermon, two lakh people, three lakh people listen to it. Why? Because they are deceived. Because they don't know their word. They don't know the word. And the look at his so nice. You know, butter melts in his mouth. 
So nice. It's always encouraging word. Really, you read the word of God, he will encourage you all the way to hell. Because Jesus said, when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction will come. Our job is to encourage them with the truth. Can be encouraged with lies too. Mm. And the word of God, Jesus was never, his words were actually truly encouraging because it deals with the issues of our life. And he says, turn and get rid of it and you can move on. So you need to be discerned about who you listen to. Listen to. Okay. And if you don't, see that old example, very simple example. You take a frog, put it into a pan of hot water, it will jump out immediately. Take a fran, take a frog, take a pan of cold water, put it in it and keep it on simmer. It will sit there and die. It won't jump out. Put it in a pan of cold water, get, light your gas, put it on sim and sit there. It will sit there without jumping and it will slowly die. And that's how people die in churches because there is no fire. There is no conviction. They die without conviction. But whenever Jesus came, there was conviction. When the Spirit of God comes, there will be conviction. And if there is no conviction, there is no Spirit of God because the first work of the Holy Spirit is when He comes, He will convict the world. In me, there is the world. There is always flesh there and the Word of God comes. It is not to destroy, it is to save. It comes and cuts and says, that's your flesh. He convicts. But there are preachers who edify the flesh. (laughs) So you need discernment. It's a big answer for a question. But that's how the demonic deceives. Actually, Pastor, question number seven is what you answered also. Can you just put up for question number seven? I think you could just possibly comment on this a little more. There are so many voices and so many interpretations. How do we know that it's God's voice and God's interpretation? First, first you have to have your word. The key is your word. Original. The original. Okay. First is the word. It is the word of God. Because first comes the written. See, only after the written can come the spirit. Okay. Even the spirit does not work without, if you go to Genesis chapter 1, and we'll read from verses, Genesis 1, verses 1 onwards. Genesis 1, verse 1 onwards. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Go back. We'll read it differently. One to three. One to three. In the beginning, God created me. And I was without form. And my mind was void. And darkness was on my mind. The Spirit of God was hovering over me. And then God said, let Let there be light. light. And I started making sense. Amen. This is exactly what even Paul says in this is condition. exactly what happens mm. in the human mind. Yes. As long as the Spirit of God is always there, it's always there. The Spirit of God does not operate where there is no Word of God. Amen. So what is the Spirit of God waiting for? It's waiting for the Word wow. of God. The minute you pick up, that's the most threatening thing for the devil. When he sees somebody pick up their Bible, he says, oh, oh, let me distract him, let me distract him, let him distract him, something, the phone rings, the television changes, channel changes. He says, what a relief. Because he picked up something that can save him. 
you pick it up. And you pick it up. We take your word. The Spirit of God is hovering. Amen. Thank and you, you look over there and you start reading. The Spirit of God starts working. Because the Spirit of God is waiting for the word of God. Mm. Start reading. Because you are looking. You are searching. You are looking. And when you are consistent, the Bible, the Spirit of God, God looks for people who are steadfast, who are consistent. When you are consistent with it, and God speaks to you. Consistency is not reading in your word. Please understand, no. it's not reading your word. Consistency is reading with the word and dealing with the issues with the Spirit of God shows yes, you. That yes, is consistency. Yes, 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 yes. That is consistency. Mm-hmm. You can go to a class, you can write down everything and come back every day without doing your homework. Mm-hmm. That is not consistency. The other kid who also went to class and came back every day after finishing his homework, that is the one the teacher says. Why do we read the word of God? Because the word of God, the spirit of God used to bring conviction. And once you have done your homework, dealt with the conviction, because when he comes, he shall convict the world of sin and of righteousness. Repent and turn to my son. You shall be right. Once you're consistently doing it, you know what? It starts happening. We learn the voice of God. We understand this is a book that speaks to you. It is a God. Primary is this. First is the word of God. It is the word of God. Old days it was through men who preached. But today you have a personal copy. Where there is no personal copy, it is still the preaching of the word of God. Mm. Yes. It is still the preaching of the word of God. You remember two days back in that uh, North Korean? Yeah, uh, they, mem- they memorized. <laughs> they memorized, you know. Okay. This, <laughs> is, this, this are North Korean underground church pastors who have gathered in a place and they see pastors that comes from the U.S. So when he's speaking, they will ask, is, it you, is it you or it is scripture? And he will say, it is scripture. And they have one notebook for that because they don't have Bibles. So they will write it down. And then uh, he said, that is you? Okay, then have the another book from. So they separate. This is the word of God. and Because when they go back, they have in their notebooks the word of God. Because they don't have the word of God. They're not allowed to have the word of God. And they carry the word of God. And everyone has memorized every word they have heard. They carry it in their minds. They carry it in their hearts. And they will put us to shame. Absolutely put us to shame. They know the word of God. Okay, and that's what the Bible is talking about. And they were all covenant people like that. David and all treasured God's word. What word did David have compared to us? Okay, because Hebrews begins with that. In the days past, God spoke in through different ways through his prophets, but to us he has spoken through his son. What more can you have? So first and foremost is the word of God. The word of God. And then subject to the authority of the word of God. Like I said today, this is not a dial for information. <laughs> okay. Mm. You don't, you call up railway help desk, airport help desk, you know, and they will say, yeah, it is okay. Take it or leave it. That's basically, you don't go to God for information. God doesn't give you information. Okay. It may look like information, but it is not information. If you have doubts, you look at information. Go to Genesis chapter 2. And verse 16 and 17. 16 and 17. 
The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat of it you shall surely die. To Eve and Adam it sounded like information, but that's not what word says. He says he had commanded them. It's not information. You come back in chapter 3. Verse 11. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? The Bible has only commandments. Those are commandments. Okay, so you cannot go and read the word of God to pick, because you can pick wisdom, knowledge, all that. It doesn't change your life eternally. To eternally change your life, you have to accept the word of God as what it is, the word of God. It's God who's speaking. God is God, like we saw in Daniel chapter 4, right? 34 and 35. This is who God is. We have to look. This is That's why God put these words from the greatest king who ever lived, Nebuchadnezzar, according to God's word, not according to the world standards. Babylon was the greatest empire, the most richest, opulent empire. And the hanging gardens of Babylon, yeah. the wonders, at the end of the time, Okay, this is my understanding returned to me. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And His kingdom is from generation to generation. Verse 35. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what, what have you done? done? This is a person we are dealing with. That's it. This is a person who is speaking to you and mm. says, come to me, come to me all day long. I have stood, stretched it in my hand, but you did not listen to me. Who has, this is the person. And is this the person who is hanging on the cross? Oh. Is this the person who is hanging on the cross? This is the person who is hanging on the cross. Yes. This is who he is. So don't get it wrong. The person who's inviting to us, calling us every day, come to me, come to me, drink of me, this is a person. This is a person. So don't misunderstand. And that is the difference with people like Apostle Paul and all. Wonder who are you? Jesus of Nazareth. Why? Because according to the law, he was blameless. He knew who gave the law. His heart was subject to Yahweh who gave the law. And on that road to Damascus, when we found it, it was Jesus who gave the law. He says, what do you want me to do? Here I am. What do you want me to do? Come with that subjection to the word of God. You should ask, Lord, I'm going to meditate upon your word. Please tell me, what do you want me to do? You're not looking for information. You're looking for commands. You're not looking for information. Lord, this is my today's devotion. Tell your servant what you want me to do. That's all. And you will suddenly realize the voice of God speaks to you. He speaks mm -hmm. to you. Because he's not out there to give information. He's not out there to give information. Because the Son of God, Jesus himself, when he came in the flesh, that's how he approached his Father. And the Father spoke to him every day. And he said, I always do what pleases the Father. It's simple. Go it one day at a time. Take it. When you fail, go back. There's no condemnation. There is mercy. There is forgiveness. But you will keep growing. You'll grow any growing. You know what? You won't get deceived. 
That's the main thing. You won't get deceived. Because your heart is in the right place. And your heart is loyal to the word of God. And to the voice of the spirit. And to the God. Actual living God. And you won't. You won't get deceived. Because you got your fundamentals from the written script. And then the voice. Because there are so many voices. And you have to listen to discerning to the voices by say, like I said, no. Are they preaching Christ crucified? That's it. Mm. That is a simple thing. Mm. Are they preaching Christ? We preach Christ crucified. To those who are perishing, it is foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is the wisdom and the power of God. What does it mean? It means death to yourself. Are they preaching projection of yourself or are they preaching death to yourself? Watch out what they are preaching. For many, Paul says, are enemies of the cross. Their God is their belly. God is their belly. It is not that God doesn't prosper and all, but that's not your prime motive. It's not. He gives you, blesses you, does all these things. But none of this thing is why you are after him. That is just the add-ons. But it does not make any difference to you whether it is there or whether it is taken away. That is the key. Would you be able to really, really say like Job, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now you wait a second and look at what God took away from this man. This is not a man living in a hut. This was the richest man of his times. In one day, God took all his wealth and all his children. So, blessing was not a snare for him. His wealth was not a snare. Because his heart was always with God. So when he took it away, it didn't make any difference to him. He says, I bless you. I worship you. You know why? Because even before he knew about the cross, he had embraced the cross. The cross was already working in his life. He was not after prosperity. Prosperity was after him. Mm -hmm. Therefore, God could prosper him at the end even more. It didn't make any difference to him. He still worshipped his God. That's what God is talking about. Sometimes people think when it's, oh, God, pastor is against prosperity. No, I am for prosperity, the right one. Where it follows you. Where you don't follow it, it follows you. It always follows you, but you are not after it. It does not touch your soul. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 28, read verse 1 and 2. 28, verse 1 and 2. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake, overtake you. Why? Because, because you obey the voice of the Lord. They will come behind. They're behind. They're behind. They're never before you. You're not, your focus is not there. You cannot outrun them. They will overtake you. But you're always, you're focused on Christ. You're focused on His voice. You're focused on obeying His voice and His command. He says, don't worry about it. It will overtake you. All these blessings which I'm going to pronounce, He says, will overtake you. That's, that is true prosperity. But that's not what is being preached. What is being preached today is to pursue this. Hmm. We don't pursue that. We pursue Christ. Pursue Christ. Because if you pursue this, when it is taken away, you get depressed. You get discouraged. You become suicidal. 
you become like Mrs. Job or Mrs. Naomi. Curse God and die. Or Naomi, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. I went full. I came empty. Really, if you're full, why did you go to Moab? I went full and I've come back empty. What happened to you? What happened to you? So you couldn't take. Not David. Not David. You look at every time God judges David. He's okay. <laughs> Whether it is a child, whether you can't build a temple or because counting of the people, every time God judges him, he just falls into God's hand. That is a man. That is a man after God's own heart. So these things will show us. Because if we get these things right, it's very difficult to be deceived. If you don't embrace the cross, you will be deceived. Because the enemy has no answer to the cross because it was a cross that defeated him. It's a cross that defeated him. And that's what, when you're talking about the voices, you look at what are the voices saying? What are these voices speaking? That's a voice that is authentic. It will point to the cross. It will say, that's from where life comes. And to that voice will tell us, pick up your cross, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Okay. And that is Job. It didn't matter how much wealth he had. He picked up his cross and denied himself every day in his wealth, in his abundance. And then one day, and it was all taken away, the cross still remained. It didn't affect him. Mm-hmm. Sorrow is there, grief is there, not about the wealth, about the children. That's a different thing, but it doesn't. Okay, because he knows my children were living like this, and every day he offered, every time they finished their partying, he offered their sacrifices. Okay. Even Eli, for all said and done, there's one line about Eli I always like in Samuel. I mean, everybody is very hard on poor fat priest. No, Mr. Eli. Eli or Eli. This is, yeah. Chapter 3 and verse 16. 17, 18. And Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, he answered, here I am. And he said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. He knows God has spoken to Samuel. He knows. First time Samuel ran, second time Samuel ran, third time when he ran, he said, you know, it is God. This is how we need to answer. And he knows. God has spoken to this boy about him. You need to respect this man for all his failures. He knew God has spoken to this boy. And he's scared. And he's more concerned. This boy out of fear will not tell me what God has spoken. Because I am sure what God spoke to this boy about me is negative. And he will keep it from me. He says, the Lord spoke to you. Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you. And more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. And then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Hmm. Now, read verse 11 and 12 and 13 and 14. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that has spoken concerning his house from the beginning to the end. 
For I have told him, I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. Therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. This is what is told to Samuel. Now Eli is telling me, tell me what God told you about me. Now go back. 16, 16, 17, 18. Yeah, 16, 17. Do not, more so, do not hide anything from me, all the things that he said to you. Okay. After that, 18, 19. Samuel told him everything, hid nothing from him, and he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. It is the Lord. Let him do what is right in his sight. I accept his judgment. He's not anger. He's not bitter. He's not bringing any of his great sacrifice as a priest in this world. He's judged. And he's right when he judges. I couldn't restrain my voice. What could I do? I could have, I couldn't. They've gone out of hand. And if God is going to do this to my family. You know what he's saying? In other words, he's saying what Job said. The Lord giveth. The Lord taketh. Blessed be the Lord. He gave me office. He's taken away the office. It will be taken out of my household forever. This priesthood pass from father to sons. It will be taken out forever. It cannot be adopted. Blessed be the name of the Lord. These are men. We may look at only their failings, but look at the other side of it also. They, are, they dealt with God. You have to deal with God with that kind of attitude. Who is he? His dominion is from everlasting to everlasting. Mm. And his kingdom rules over the affairs of men. Go with that attitude to God consistently. Let me tell you, he will speak to you. Amen. Amen. He will speak to you. He will speak to you. Okay? He will speak to you. Because you have to look at certain facets of certain people's character. Where Eli or Eli failed with his sons, especially Hophni, Phineas and all. He didn't fail with Samuel. Yeah. He, he mentored one son, which turned out to be the best. If you look at two influences in Samuel's life, it's his father and Eli. Eli. Yeah. Two people. His mother and Eli. He failed. That's happened. Sometimes you fail with your own children, but you raise a powerful spiritual children. Your children did not receive the word, but your spiritual children received. That's why the Bible says, let the barren woman mm. rejoice. Why is she barren? Because her children did not turn out right, but her spiritual children turned out right. It's talking about uh, actual fact. Your own children did not turn out right because they became very familiar because you were their father. They forgot your father was the priest. They got that office and the two mixed and they, 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 they had condemned of your father because the father is fat. He eats too much. They forgot his office. I'll show you from pictures. This is what happens with people. Go again to First Samuel. First Samuel. Chapter. First Samuel. Uh, chapter. Seven. Verse one. 
Then the men of Kirjath Jarim came and took the ark of the Lord, brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill, consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And verse 2, so it was the ark remained in Kirjath Jarim a long time. Now turn to Second Samuel, chapter 6. Second Samuel, chapter 6. Got it? Verse 1 onwards. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. David arose and with all the people of with him from Valley Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of the Lord on a new cart and brought it out where? From the house of? Abinadab. He's been sitting in his house, which was on the hill. Mm-hmm. And Uzzah and Ahoyo, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. They brought out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of the Lord. Ahoyo went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord, all kinds. Let's read verse 6. When they came to Nakon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of the God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Verse 7. The anger of the Lord was arose against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of the Lord. Why? Because when something that is holy is in your house for a long time, you become very familiar with the holy things of God. You are sitting in your house. When you were brushing your teeth, you looked at the oak. That is the ark of the Lord. After breakfast, when you pass, the ark is always sitting in your house. You became very... But the ark has never changed its, its nature. It is still the ark of the Lord. And look at how it is introduced in the beginning. The name of the Lord. And then, very, very clear, you cannot touch the ark. It has to be always carried on the shoulders of the priest. It cannot be touched. No hand touches it. You put the staves through and carry. But you became very familiar because it was in your house. And the same thing happens. We become familiar with God and the word of God. We become very familiar. And what happens? It becomes a destruction into our lives. That's what. First Corinthians chapter eleven. First Corinthians chapter eleven. Verse twenty eight. Twenty nine thirty. Let a man examine himself, so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak, sick among you, and many sleep. Hello? This table was supposed to bring do the opposite. <laughs> this table was supposed to make you strong, make you well, and spiritually awake. But because it became so familiar... <laughs> You know what has happened? It has made you weak. It has made you sick. And it has made you go to sleep. That simple piece of bread you take, you have become so familiar with the bread without realizing it is an emblem of something magnificent, glorious, the very body of Jesus Christ that hung on the cross. The symbol of the wine which you drank was the very symbol of the blood that was shed for the remission of your sins. So what I should have done, it is doing the opposite. The 
ark should have brought you victory. Mm. But the ark is bringing you Judgment. death. Because God has never changed. Yep. He's still the same. When you go with this attitude to God, mm. fear mm. and love, honor and love, love God with all your heart, but you also fear Him. Because of who He is. Who is. You go with both. Approach the word of God. You will see God will speak. God will speak to you. Okay. Go to Hebrews 10, uh, 5 and verse 7. Not 10, verse 5, 7. Sorry, not 10, verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him, from death. This is the, the whole part is about Jesus' prayers. But look at the last part, how it friends. He was heard. Why? Because of his godly fear. Because of his godly fear. Why was he heard? Because of his referential godly fear. That's what he brought into his prayer closet. And his father heard him. Father heard him. Public prayers are one thing. Personal prayers are something else. And God is watching the public, personal prayers. How do you come to me? Look at how his son came to him. His very son, Jesus Christ. If somebody doesn't have to fear God, because in John 1, 18 or 19, if I'm right, what Jesus says is, he's come from the bosom of, of the, the Father. Father. Yes. Yeah, 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the Father is crying out with godly fear. So you can come from the bosom of God and yet have godly fear. Bring these two together. God will speak to you. God will speak to you. Don't digress from both. You have to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength and fear Him. Fear Him. And He was heard because of His godly fear. And He served God, His Father, because He loved Him. He loved his father and he served him and he feared his father and he obeyed him. Put this together, you won't have issue with voices. Otherwise you will be deceived. Honestly, you will be deceived. A lot of people get deceived. It's simply because they do not know how to guard their heart when it comes to God. Guard your heart the way things are. Okay, okay. I'll show you. Go back to Second Samuel. In chapter, that same chapter 6, when, when, this is what we call our safety belt. Mm. Automatically built safety belt. Words, we write, verse 7. Chapter 6, verse 7. And 8, 9, okay. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah. The Lord struck him there, for he said, God, he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry. What did happens? David became angry. angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Okay, so the first response of David is angry. In verse 9, mm-hmm. David was afraid. afraid. He guarded it with fear. <laughs> People would get angry and say, I'm never going back to church again. No, he was angry. Mm-hmm. And he guarded it with fear. Who can approach? How can the ark of the Lord come to me? That is your safety. Of course, you can get upset with certain things, but you know what? Amen. <laughs> I know who you are. I don't understand all this thing that happened. Later he will understand. Then he scolds the priest. Why did you not do what is prescribed? 
don't you guys who are the priests know this is not the way the ark to be brought. It was never meant to be in a cart. It had to be carried on the shoulders of the priests. That is why. God has already told. When is this happening? When was this told? It was told by Moses mm. in the wilderness. Post Moses. Around 450 years of judges. Mm. 40 years of Samuel. And then seven years of David. How many years have gone? 500 years have gone by. The word of God never changes. Mm. Because you think 500 years have gone by, it doesn't apply. It still applies. Because what was told to Moses in the wilderness, this is how my ark will be always carried. How many years have passed by? 500 years. The Gibeonites come and make, deceive Joshua. Joshua doesn't check with God. Makes a vow with the elders, with the Gibeonites, in the name of the Lord. And God said, okay, you took my name, now it stands. Two days later, three days later, these are Gibeonites, they are right over, they are fooled us. But you took your mouth and you said in the Lord, in the name of the Lord, we are making a covenant with the Gibeonites. Now that covenant stands. Joshua is gone. 40 years. Judges are gone. 450 years. 500 years have gone. Now it is the rule of Saul. Saul in his rule, in his religious zeal, because religious zeal comes when the spirit leaves, religion comes up. He goes and kills the Gibeonites. Now David is king. First year of famine. Second year of famine. Third year he went and asked, Lord, why is he famine? He said, it is because of the Gibeonites. Saul killed the Gibeonites. Why? Because the vow Joshua made 500 years ago still stands before me. I don't go back on a word that has used my name. Until that is atoned, the famine won't go. You need to understand, the word of God is forever established. Heaven and earth will pass away, not a dot. So when we go to the word of God, approach it with reverence. Because it will not pass away. Now we are not talking about the letter of the law. We need to understand what is the spirit saying? What does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? Don't misconstrue grace. The Bible does not say, listen to John chapter 1 and verse 17. The Bible does not say what is being preached today. This is what the word of God mm. says. The law was given through Moses, but grace and, and truth. truth came together, it's one package. Where there is no truth, grace won't operate. Mm. Before grace can come, truth has to come. The word of God is truth. Once I have received the truth, grace starts operating. Once I reject truth, grace won't. So a false grace is being offered where there is no truth at all. Mm. It doesn't matter how dire your situation is. When Christ comes, he comes with grace and he comes with truth. The Samaritan woman at the well, he's coming with grace. It is grace that saves. He says, if you know, if you knew who is asking you for water, you would asking for water. The water he gives, if you drink, you will thirst no, no more. more. What is he offering? He's offering grace. Yeah. And she says, give it to me. He says, go bring your husband. What is that truth? Yeah. That is truth. No, that's not grace. That is truth. She says, I have not husband. She says, truly you have spoken. You had five husbands. Now you are living with the sixth one. Truth doesn't condemn you. It's like the surgeon's scalpel. It just opens it up. Now you know. Tell me, what do you want me to do with this? Hmm. I can heal you. Or it will destroy you. Hmm. I can heal This is the truth. 
This is who you were. I have not come to condemn. I have come to save. I have not come to condemn. I have to save. But you cannot be saved until you receive the truth. The problem is when we go to the doctor, you want to know the truth. When you go to God, you want to be flattered. Jesus came with grace and truth. Grace and truth. And truth is difficult. But truth, just along with truth, it is not Jesus' law came through Moses, grace or truth came through Jesus. Not grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And truth. And every situation, it is truth and grace that comes. It's grace that comes and wants to heal you. 38 years sitting by this pool at Bethsaida, but Jesus comes and asks you, do you want to be made whole? That is truth asking. Do you really want to be made whole? He makes all these excuses. No, pick up your mat and walk. Pick up that. Put away your past. Go. Pick that up. No coming back there. Grace has come into the picture. You are healed. Mm. Go. And he goes straight to the temple. Hallelujah. And Jesus finds him there. That was a message you heard mm, the past mm, weeks. Mm. Will Jesus find, find you in the temple? temple? Mm. You had a miracle. You had a promotion. You got this blessing, that blessing. Where do you go after that? The man went straight to the temple and Jesus met him there. He did not know it was Jesus who healed him. But Jesus met him here. And Jesus had a second word for him. Second word for him. Do not sin again or something worse will happen to you. Because he has not come to get them. But it's the truth that sets you free. Grace empowers you to become free. But it is the truth that sets you free. Where there is no truth, grace does not work. That's why the Holy Spirit is given two names in the new covenant. He's the spirit of truth and he's the spirit of grace. In Hebrews, he's called the spirit of grace. Understand these concepts. You will not get confused with voices. But people are in denial. People are in denial. Because people are either accusing God for their problem or accusing the other from the problem. And here is Jesus coming. Do you want to be free? Listen to John chapter. Listen to what that man says. John chapter. Listen to him what he says when Jesus asks this question. John 5. Verse 6 and 7. John 5, 6 and 7. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in the condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Actually, KJV will use the word, do you want to be made whole? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Wait. That's not what I asked him. <laughs> You're still blaming somebody else for getting in before you and somebody else not helping you. No, if my father had not been from the village, I would have probably gone to an English medium school. Then I would have got a job. Wait. And that's not what I asked you. What I asked is, do you want a job? Wow. That's what I asked. You're, you're not listening to the question. What I asked you is, do you want to be made whole? You're still blaming somebody else. Still blaming somebody else. That's not what I asked. That is the whole issue. In every situation, whether it is in a home, in a husband and wife, or a home, parents and children. God is coming to the individual, not to the whole. He looks to one person and says, do you want to be made well? No, my wife, that's not what I asked you. What I asked you, do you want to be made whole? Yes, Lord. 
break up your marriage. Stop breaking your exes. Whether she will be made or whole or not is in her hands. But whether you will be made whole or is in your, your hands. hands. Do you want to be made whole in this marriage? No, until she becomes. That's not what I asked. Oh. What I asked is about you. Mm-hmm. About you. That is what we need to realize. God is a personal God, a God of individuals. Your marriage can be absolutely a mess and you can be whole in that marriage. Your home can be a mess and be completely whole in that because it is God who deals with individuals. Because he doesn't bend the free will of everybody to make you well. Mm. He says, do you want to be well? Mm -hmm. And if we understand that, it is independent of others. It is God to do with God. God to do with God. And that's how God deals with people. That's how God, because that's not what we are waiting for everybody to be well and then I will be well. God, that is never going to happen. <laughs> Forget that. Because you are now outsourcing your problems. You are saying they are responsible for be, me being unhappy. He says, no. You are being unhappy because you are not right with me. If you are right with me, even if they all make you unhappy, you can still sing. That's what Paul is doing in the prison, right? In Second Timothy, when he finally writes, everybody has abandoned me, but I don't hold it against them. Because the Lord hasn't, Lord hasn't abandoned me. On the other hand, he says, everybody was with me and Lord is not with me. Lord of people are very happy. Everybody is with me. All my friends are with me. The Lord has left me. No problem at all. <laughs> it is like Saul sitting under a tamarisk tree with a spear in his hand or a sword in his cupboard and 600 men around him. The Lord has left him. He's perfectly fine. And here is David crying out to the Lord. Nobody has left him. Everybody is with him. And he's saying, Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit off me. Mm. What a difference between two kings. Mm. What a difference between two kings. Mm. Here the Spirit has left him. He's not bothered. Here every, because he still has his throne and his people. Here this man, nobody has left him. He's sitting at the height of his power. The kingdom is at peace. Everything is going well. But he knows deep inside. I've done wrong. Mm. I am not able to pray. I'm not able to write a psalm. I'm not able to worship. I go to the temple. I feel like a fake because I know the spirit is not there. Lord, create in me a clean heart, O oh Lord. Restore unto me. I haven't lost my salvation. I've lost my joy. Joy. Yes. 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 I haven't lost my salvation. I'm saved. Mm. I have lost my joy. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. This is how God deals with individuals, one-on-one. But as so long as you start, you know, that person who is whole, who is whole with God, is able to serve the others without any issues. And God is able to redeem that person. If you look at the two people who come out of Moab into Israel, both are widows, both have lost their husbands, both are poor, but God is not able to touch Ruth, uh, sorry, Naomi. Because her heart is so hard and bitter. But there is Ruth. Ruth is like Samuel. And Naomi is like Ellie. Naomi knows the letter. So she can guide Ruth. Ellie can guide Samuel. God cannot speak to Naomi. God can speak to Ruth. God cannot speak to Ellie. But God can speak to Samuel. And God redeems Ruth. You know what? That woman has nothing in her heart. Heart is tender. She's left everything to follow the God of Israel. And she will go and slog in the field. For whom? For Naomi. See, she's not harvesting. She's gleaning. 
Gleaning is very difficult. Yes. It's in the law. When you are harvesting, leave the edges for the poor. So gleaning, you have to do it by hand, one by hand. You are not harvesting with a sickle. You are gleaning it by hand, the poor. You are gleaning. And she is gleaning. And she is gleaning. And for whom? For a Jewish mother-in-law. Not a mother. A mother-in-law. Mm. And when Boaz comes over there, he asks this question, who is that woman? And the man in charge says, she has been working from morning. She's been working. The first thing they note about is how she works. And then he says to daughter, come, take a drink. And he gives all the commands. Nobody should harm her anywhere. She's a young girl. She's a widow. She's a Moabite. She's now under my protection. So watch out. Nobody dare abuse her. So look at that. So you see, two people can come out of one situation. One is bitter. The other one is whole. God is making her whole. And so Ruth will be redeemed. And she will fall into the line of Jesus' family. And we have to look at it. This is the authentic word of God. This is a God, like I said, God is good. Therefore, his will is good. So his will is good, pleasing, and perfect. Mm. We have to believe that. Lord, what is your will? No. Lord, I know one thing. Your will is good for me. Because you are good. Your will cannot be bad. It is good for me. It is good for me. And therefore, Lord, I surrender to your will. Now let your will come to pass in my life. At the end, I know it will be good because of who you are. I surrender. If you will to do my will, then you will know what doctrine is. That's how it works. So we have to ultimately detach ourselves from others and attach ourselves to God before we can become a blessing to others. others. That is it. I blessed you to become a blessing. Abraham, will you please leave and cleave to me so that you can become a blessing. Otherwise you will never become a blessing. The first condition for blessing is separation. And then separated unto God. That's what sanctification means. Separated for a holy purpose. Then you will become a blessing. You, God can make you whole. That's, that's relationships. Okay. Because a lot of people struggle with all these things. But my, my question is, what if your wife or your husband is not sanctified? What do you do? He's not separated. What do you do? What if your children are not separated? You stop? Mm-hmm. Showing up? No. no. You don't. You still serve your spouse. You serve your God because you have separated and cleaved to your God and you are still the channel of his blessing. And he has made you whole. He has made you whole. Because many of the questions we get is from broken people. The problem is, what has brokenness done to you? What has it done to you? Has it made you better? Or has it made you bitter? Hmm. Are you like that man? 38 years later, he's still saying, nobody's there to help me. Somebody always gets before me. And here is one man who has come here to help you. <laughs> Do you want to make well? And he says, are you going to lead me to the... That's all I said. Do you want to get well? Look at his response. He's still blaming somebody else. <laughs> Do you want to get well? And every morning when you rise, when you go to the prayer closet, the first question God asks is, Do you want to be made whole? Yes, Lord. Pick up your mat. Stop making excuses. Take personal 
responsibility for your mess. That's your matter. On which you've been sitting for 38 years. Hmm. Take personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. Like David, Lord, I am the one who goofed up. Why should these people die? I made the goof up. Take personal responsibility. And God says, that's all. I have not come here to punish you. <laughs> I have come here to save you. But I cannot save you until you accept the truth. I am. For six, four thousand years, God is looking for Cecil. I look for one man, mm. one man, one mm. man, one man to stand in the gap. Nobody. So my right hand decided to work out salvation. So there he hung on the cross to the whole world signifying, I take responsibility for man's fall. And God says, judgment is over. Because he's taken responsibility for all men's sin. That's what God is looking for. Somebody who will take responsibility. Everybody is like Adam, the woman you gave the serpent of pointing, pointing. Nobody is taking personal responsibility. And if we were to go to God and take personal responsibility for the goof-ups we have done, he's willing to restore. Amen. Amen. The next thing you see is a man who's been sitting on the poolside for 38 years. He's made whole. He's walking. And he's carrying the mat and walking. You know what? He's not going to a physiotherapist. If you have been crippled for 38 years, you know how many weeks of physiotherapy before your muscles become well. All kind of exercise you pay through your nose. Nothing. When God heals you, heals you just like that. Get up and walk. Go away. That's what he does. You know what? All you have to do is take responsibility. God sets you free. And you have to believe that's who he is. Yes, that is who he is. So don't listen to all the voices. There is one, one voice. The voice that makes you whole, whole, that sets you free first from yourself. <laughs> from your self. Your self. <laughs> yourself. One of the things I have learned in my life, my biggest problem is me. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> you get up in the morning, go to your prayer closet, deal with me. You are good for the day. Mm. Good for, if you don't deal with me, then I will start dealing with everybody else. <laughs> so Lord, I come to your closet, I deal with me, and leave everybody alone. Amen? Amen. Yes, John Richie? Yes. Yes, John Come back to me We shall close with prayer. Yes. Father, we just want to thank you, Father. Lord, you are a God who always has plans to prosper us, not to harm us, to give us a hope and a future and a desired end. Thank God that you sent Jesus, just not with truth, for it would have destroyed us. And just not with grace, it would have made us familiar with you. But you sent him with grace and truth so that you could truly save us from ourselves, Father, and from every power of the enemy that tries to attack us, Lord. We just want to thank you for the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Lord, indeed, O Lord. We have received truth this evening, O Lord. And as your word says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set us free. And I pray, Father, this truth, we will receive it. And Lord, your grace would empower us to obey it so that we can walk in freedom and in deliverance, O Lord, and we can be a channel and a source of blessing to others. To that end, I pray that, Lord, you would make all these answers 
relevant to our lives or not, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for this time. We praise you. We worship you. We give you glory. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. See you all tomorrow at church.